0: Well, I really hope that worked well. I think it did. It sounded good on my end.
1: Oh well, oh, well, hello, hello, and welcome.
0: Hey, welcome. It is a Saturday, June the 12th, and welcome to another episode of Banter with Jabisa and Tracy. All right,
1: or Tracy and Jabisa.
0: <laughs> hope everybody is doing well. Glad that you are tuning in. We have a full and I think exciting um, some topics that we're going to cover today. So, um, B, you want to jump right in?
1: Yeah, we're well, gonna... We're gonna share what we're going to talk about today. We're looking at the Black Tax, um, the 1619 Project. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Black history, what we learned, <laughs> what we didn't yeah. learn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then um, we're going to have a, a special guest who's going to share a little bit of knowledge with us as well. So, mm-hmm.
0: so we're, we're excited about today. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. So here we go. So for the the black tax, I was to be I I can't remember what. Oh yeah, I remember what sparked that. Um, I was thinking about refinancing our home, and I wanted to get the best rates possible. But I was out. I would tell Jabez said I'm afraid to you know, go to certain people because that I felt because I was black, I would not get the best um, rates or, you know, th- all of the information, like stuff that they don't necessarily have to share with you, but that may be important or beneficial. So I'm going to start with what the black text is to me. And then, <laughs> and then two other, um, some other information, two other different views on it that I got from the internet, because that's where I get all my stuff. But anyway, and you know, because internet's always factual. But anyway, <laughs> so to me, the black tax is that I wouldn't get like a better rate on a mortgage, credit card, or other kinds of loan. I won't get the best cuts of meat from a butcher, the best seat in an arena for a concert or a show. I would have to pay a fee for something that is waived for white people. Or inside intel that someone may have with a customer to share, for example, like, Girl, you don't have to buy these shirts today because they they gonna be fifty percent off tomorrow. I might not get that information. I think because I'm black, and so that in my in my mind is what a black tax is. And I had an example too from you. I don't know if you heard of the uh, story about the former football NFL football players where they're getting compensation for those brain injuries. Yeah, and they're making the calculations based on. Um, the assumption, because that's what it is, that Black athletes had less cognitive skills to begin with. So their payouts are less. Yeah. I mean, that it's, is they're that's just horrible. They're suing yeah. them to for that. I know, but the fact that that's even a thing that you have to sue for because like they were all playing together. I mean, I don't understand. Well, I do understand racism, but the fact that that's a thing that they're saying, well, they they're less... They were less cognitive to begin with. So we don't have to give them as much money or whatever.
1: But let me just ask mm-hmm. Tracy, when you talk about the black tax. My parents, I was talking to my parents, and, and when my father first joined the military, he said, um in in the sharing of you know benefits and what have you, he mm-hmm. said that they would tell the white soldiers about 401k exactly he didn't tell the black soldiers about the 401k and he said the only reason he knew is there was a black soldier who knew about it and told my dad but they would in in in, in um i guess seminars and presentations w- where they would share that information with the white sh- soldiers and would not
0: share that information with the black soldiers so 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 exactly. your black is real that's my thing now i'm I, my black tax might not be the proper phrase for it but it is a thing that I, you know, feel and I have it's like trust issues. It's, it goes real deep. And so anyway, I went. So for some more information I gathered online was the black tax was the price that more affluent members of a black family may have to pay in supporting their less successful family members. Like they would pay their rent or mortgage. They get groceries. You pay for utilities, car payments, child care, elder care. These folks can't couldn't build wealth by saving or investing because they are taking care of their families and also black families are less likely to have wealth to pass on like if your family doesn't leave you with a bunch of debt then you consider yourself lucky (laughs) because you're not gonna get like now, not everybody because I know there are many black families that do pass on wealth because you know we do have that as well but a lot many families don't have anything to pass on and and it's you know white families um, can pass on their inheritance to the younger generations because they're they, because they can And we all know that the fact that black families can't do that dates back to slavery when black labor built the wealth, of this for white families but reap none of the profits or the benefits and y'all even if we were to let all of that go let it all go and say okay we're just going to start from scratch we're still in a pickle because the racial discriminate discriminative barriers and impediments placed in our way when we do try to do better so even if we were to just let the fact that you know the we are we are in, our ancestors were enslaved and we couldn't build anything, but if we're just gonna start fresh, start scratch, they still put up all these barriers to keep us from being able to do stuff. Like whenever communities were black communities were successful, they were burned down or whatever, they were cheated out of it, or just you know, scared away from it. I don't know. So, and anyway, I'm gonna let that part go because I get worked up. And then I had another, I found another article from two doctors. Drs. Robert Palmer and Larry Walker, they wrote about a black tax as a psychological phenomena as opposed to financial. Their definition of the black tax is the psychological weight or stressor that black people experience from consciously or unconsciously thinking about how white Americans perceive the social construct of blackness, which is often portrayed through a deficit lens and is associated with racial stereotypes. And so they they gave examples of like when they were in school, in graduate school, um, they had to felt like he had to overproduce. Like one guy said he wrote the paper for his entire group because he just wanted them to know that I'm worthy to be here or that they would think that they're lazy or dumb and couldn't do it. And, you know, his group was like ecstatic about it. And they, and if they were thinking that or not, he just felt it was something that he put on himself that was internalized. And the other one said, um, I think this is Dr. Walker said that when he was teaching a class, he said there was a white male student that questioned him at every turn. Like it wasn't, you know, he would just find fault with whatever he was teaching. And like he had to be on his game because he knew that this kid was coming for him. And the last thing that he said that really, he said this really stuck with him is that he would call him by his first name. He wouldn't address him as Dr. Walker. He would say, Larry. Wow. And so, just disrespectful, like yeah. the fact that this man, you know, went to school, got was were very well educated, and very more than qualified to teach the class. The white guy was just letting them know that, you know, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't all that. You ain't all that. Don't get to think too much of yourself.
1: I think we we've, we've all experienced that. I when we, um, when Taylor was um, two or three, we went to this musical class where basically she ran she more I more than her ran around <laughs> with scarf singing la 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 but uh-huh. it, it was it was stressful I mean you know we had to get up and get dressed and I had to make sure that she was you know she was presented well and we mm-hmm. had to be there on time and yeah we were the only black people in there and um there was a father there with his little child and I remember he's like, you know, this is—he's like, this is just, you know, this is just
0: something for kids. It's nothing to stress over. And I'm thinking, yes, it is. It is. It's is so it is. <laughs> it is. It is because we're coming at it. They could just be themselves. But you and Taylor were carrying a whole Black America on your shoulders, and that's a big, heavy burden for a woman and a child to carry. It, and it is. And I think some of that. I think some of that may be self-imposed. You know, I think it is. That's what they were saying they said yeah. it's, it's self-imposed he, they put it like for white like just as white privilege is something that white people just you know have that it's a part of their being white that um the black tax is inextricably their words linked to the experience of black americans because we're black americans like right. it's something that we put on ourselves like no one says that or you know we think that they're thinking it because they did and I, we, I'm sure that they do but it's no. something now that we will just go ahead and start with ourselves and put this burden on ourselves we're going to overwork we're going to overdo we're going to go beyond because yeah. they, they think that we can't or we won't or we're lazy or we're this that and the other whatever they think about you know our our race of our the black race we're trying to counteract that probably even before they even you know do anything or say anything to let us know that yeah that's what we really think anyway we just go ahead and get in front of it if you will
1: yeah and we, we do it without without thinking
0: it's just automatic yes. but right. it's unconscious and consciously
1: my, my hairdresser because I, I was we were talking one day I was like you know how dare they say slaves were lazy and she said I would have been a lazy slave <laughs> <laughs> you know, why would I work hard for free you know if, and, I, and when she said that I was like you know what? Well, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. But you know that whole idea of you know slaves were lazy. Um, yeah. They weren't getting paid, it so was it, yes. it wasn't
0: even that. It's a misnomer. Slave, by the definition, is not a lazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Enslaved person, by the by that definition, is not because slavery means that you're working. You're working hard. Right. So that was that was just something that that white people said to. Um, Uh, to keep us I think it was all in psychological warfare Mm -hmm. like you're worthless you're lazy you're not doing anything you whatever if you were free you couldn't do nothing because you're lazy you know that kind of thing and I that's what it was it was it was intentional I got to hand it to them they were they were really good I it's like they read up on it (laughs) <laughs> they probably, they probably
1: did. And you're ac- you're actually, you're absolutely right because for you to say that I'm I, someone is lazy, but you still keep them on to work your land because you know, they're not lazy, but exactly but that it, it it said it in stamp. Um, one of the paragraphs in stamp said the only reason white people are great is because they said they're great. And the only reason that we're not great is because they told us that we were not exactly. And, and, and so that repeat, re- repetition of words, for years and hundreds of years and hundreds of years and repeated over and over. And Mm -hmm. in every part of our society really plays on your psyche. So, so you're absolutely right. So, you know what, guys, I guess we need to relax
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just be yourself. Yeah. Ourselves is we are just fine as we are. Uh, You know what? I like to say
1: that Tracy, and I like to believe that, but you and I both know we're going to go to work. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yes. And I'm going to do overdue. It, it, yes. Because what yes. can we say? We can't do what they do. <laughs> we cannot do what they do. I remember yesterday I was do, putting something on the calendar um, for my boss. And so he told me, right? Normally he sends me an email, but he t- he told me. And so I'd normally when he sends an email, I'll respond to it. And so he told me and I still responded to an email. And then he came up and he told me another date. And I was he saw me getting ready. So he said, you don't have to email that to me. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I know you're, he said, no, I know you're doing it. I know you've done it because, because that's what, what I would do. That's because I need to make sure that it's in there. If something happens, he won't say to Tracy, didn't do it. You know, whatever. It won't be anything. It won't be my um, dereliction of duties or my incompetence that messed things up. Cause I did what i was asked to do so but
1: not only that it's a paper trail is what it is it because is he says it, you he didn't do it, You can say yes, i i did and an i sent an on yes yeah. so that's that's the paper trail. Yes. And yeah mm-hmm. and i i i too do simple things i get i get a request from the principal about doing something for the website and then i will make the changes and i will send the email to her saying changes have been made please review yep so you can't say that i did not do that so yeah exactly it, it is it is job security because it is job
0: security, and it's, we're, we're covering ourselves, defending yeah. ourselves because we feel like we have to. If if the you and um, the lady that you work with that really nice lady that you work with, if roles were reversed, and she would do had to do the update stuff, she might not feel as pressed to respond with an email saying that it's been done. Exactly, because she she did it, she would have done it, and that would have been the expectation. And the the principal would have known, trusted that she had done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there there is a trust issue. So we're gonna
1: we're gonna switch from the the black tax to um very much related to the 1619 project because we really wanted to delve into that today. Um, if you don't know, we've kind of touched upon a 1619 project Mm -hmm. before. Um, if you don't know what it is, it was first published in the New York Times magazine in August of 2019. It was um, published in on that particular date in um, recognition of the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in the English colony of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so, as I said in the past, I have listened to some and read some of the 1619 Project. It's a series of um articles podcasts and, and there was a lot of yeah as well so uh-huh. i've only kind of dabbled in it a little bit i haven't listened to all of it in it's in entirety, yeah. but it's an incredible collection of work that um nicole hannah jones mm-hmm. um, was the developer she helped develop it with a number of other um authors historians and writers and things like that but she was the developer of it and um nicole hannah jones is also in the news for um them not giving her tenure for a particular um, position in UNC Chapel Hill. We'll talk about that another day. But she is an accomplished journalist. Um, she was mm-hmm. awarded the MacArthur Fellowship and then she won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for her commentary on her work on the 1619 Project. So once again, when you talk about the, the, um, the Black tax, this is a prime example. But we'll, that's what are rules?
0: <laughs> I know because I can just, I see absolutely why they won't tenure her because she's done absolutely nothing. Yeah, I
1: know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she's coming. She's coming in here with, with awards and accolades and yeah, missions and, and all kinds of things, yes. and we still question, question her 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 worthiness, worthiness. That's the word. Question yes. her worthiness. Yes, the, despite what she brings to the table. Right. Um, so the sixteen nineteen project aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and contributions of Black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. And if you start to listen to it, and I I listened to the opening of it um, and it, it, it the opening is just powerful. They just talk it is. that mm. that, yes. that, that idea of being, being in, in captured enslaved and then that movement to this mm. unknown land via ship. I mean, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, it, it's just, right. It, it's really moving. Um, it is, but, um, and so that made me start thinking about, you know, when we were taught black history and we've said this before, not much was said. Um, I was sharing with Tracy earlier, I was looking at the South Carolina standards of black history. And, and so that, you know, it, it's it's kind of matter of fact. And one of the things that I, I said to, to Tracy is that in the standards, they, they do have listed rebellions, the rebellion, the stoner rebellion is one of the rebellions that they, they feature in the South Carolina standards. And they talk about the slow work where slaves will slow down their working. And these little bit of, um, these moments of rebellion that they, the slaves would do when they, you know, when they could, that the there wasn't a wait for Lincoln to free. There was this, always this desire for freedom in any way that they could, but Tracy pointed out, she says, but they don't talk about how they punish the slaves. And I thought, I didn't see that listed in the standards.
0: Mm-mm.
1: You know, you can't to me you cannot talk about slavery in 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 um, ways that that are segmented and omit the other parts.
0: Right. So,
1: so and, and you 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 really have to talk about the punishment of slaves to understand why why they remain slaves. It wasn't voluntary. Mhm. You know, a, a person who was enslaved didn't didn't say, you know what, this isn't a bad gig. <laughs> they, they they were like, you know what, they, they, beat, they beat the devil out of that man, and he tried to mm-hmm. run. Let me just sit tight and see, you know, if I can mm-hmm, wait till freedom come. So yeah. you have to you have to talk about that as well. And so that's one of the things that that I think um, the sixteen nineteen project um, brings into play is that they're looking at all of um, the American history and including all aspects of slavery. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to our special guests. We have a special guest and, a, and we will have occasional guests on the show from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so um, he is let here. Do, let, let me do a hand clap. Oh. <laughs> uh, Don, who is an educator, um, is going to share with us because Tracy and I were talking about this and then Um, she pointed out that she heard about, what is it called, Tracy? Critical race theory. Critical race theory. So we, so um, Don is going to share with us, he's going to kind of give us a um, definition or explanation of what critical race theory is. Um, He he will share with us some of the benefits of critical race theory, and then maybe why people are, white people, are opposed Mm -hmm. (laughs) to (laughs) critical race theory. So Don, you have the floor, or the video, or the audio. (laughs) Or the mic. the mic. Oh, yes, the mic. Don, you have the mic. Welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you on
0: our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate you.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. And so uh, it is a privilege and an honor to uh, be um, one of the inaugural guests on Banter with uh, Tracy and Javisa, or be and Tracy. <laughs> um, my name is Don Doggett, and I am a lifelong educator, I'm married happily with three children and uh, three grandchildren. Uh, and so I've spent a lot of time um, thinking through a lot of what's going into critical race theory. When I was at Howard University, yes, there's a bison in the White House. (laughs) um, We had a class called Black Diaspora. And it was from the beginning to the 1830s. And then it was Black Diaspora from the 1830s to the present. And so a lot of what is in critical race theory has been around for a number of years. Um, one of the books that we read as a book club that I participated in, um, Faces at the Bottom of the Well by Derrick Bell is a one of the professors that's around this whole thinking of critical race theory. And so I'll attempt to give a couple of definitions about what critical race theory is and then Uh, look at what the benefits are and just, you know, not necessarily, you know, I don't need to tell you why people are upset. All you got to do is turn on the news Uh and you'll hear a lot about why people are upset, but I'm going to give you a term to help understand why people are so upset. And so, you know, critical race theory is just how um, we're looking at America's history of racism and discrimination. And you two talked about that. So y'all are a part of, in terms of uh, the redlining that went on. And so, you know, invariably, Congress would, or the, the government and um, banks institutions would just draw circles around tracts of land. And that's where they would put concentrations of African Americans and the property values. And as you were talking about your father, part of that is all about how we look at Racism and discrimination—it's—it's a—it's a practice. It's an approach to grappling with history of white supremacy, and people don't want to hear that. Um, you know, they—we reject the belief that what's in the past is in the past, and that's partly what they want you to do. They say the same thing about Dylan Roof. We need to—it's in the past. It happens. Let's move on. The same thing about the insurrection. I mean, it was just January, but now mm-hmm. it's all of a sudden it's in the past. So let's just move on. And so the laws and systems that grow are so detached from this thinking of a history of, you know, to be perfectly honest, white supremacy. If you don't call it, if you don't name it, then you water it down. And that's what mm-hmm. they want you to do. And so, you know, it, 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 it's just a way of helping people to understand the oppression, the marginalization of minority groups. It's not just African Americans, but it really affects us because it, it came from slavery and how we were treated as slavery. And so, you know, um, it, it's not necessarily saying that. Uh, white people are bad, which is one of the things that people say. It's not a matter of saying that it's, it's built upon slavery because it, it actually was. You know, When you talked about Hannah Jones, and so let me just go there just for a moment and then I'll try to get into uh, the benefits. In her essay, she talked about two historical events that showed that this country was founded and people will say, no, that's a long time ago. That really wasn't it. But if you think about it, in 1772, there was a British case of Somerset versus Stewart. And we studied that at Howard. And I really didn't understand at the time the significance of that. But it said that um, from English law, that a slave taken from his owner to the colonies, you know, from the colonies to Great Britain, could not be legally held against his will. his will. So if you took him, he could not be held against his will. England had never established slavery by law. And so Somerset was free to go. And then in 1775, there was another one. Um, this was the, there was a governor of Virginia, um, Dunmore. Uh, he offered freedom to slaves who would take up arms. So that was the first that you hear of um, that's written where slaves would be freed if they took up arms for any loyalist causing a stir against the rebellion. And so um, the measure that this talked about was that it only uh, uh, attained to the rebels, therefore exempting slaves that were owned by loyalists. And so she argued that those things um, presented an emergent threat to the continuation of slavery. And so slave Americans needed to support um, independence, because if they did, then they could keep their slaves. And so that was what caused some of the big rift from the 1619 Project. And like I said, this has been going on for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, the the treatment of this theory, this practice was sparked by Donald Trump. Uh, he sent a memo out to the Office of Management to stop training critical, That it teaches that U.S. Uh, the United States is inherently racist or evil, um, and this divisive, false, demeaning propaganda is not who America is. And then George Floyd happened, and so then he, you know, stated that the 1619 Project attempted to rewrite American history, and that's not the case. Mm-mm. Um, You know, basically, if we stop talking about race being a seminal aspect of what we do and who we are, then we keep marginalizing those black and brown, you know, Mm -hmm. racism and race influences social, economic and political experiences. Mm if we don't have an anti-racist education, then those stereotypes will continue to go unchallenged. We're we're just now bringing life to Tulsa and Tulsa has been around for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, And so,
1: you know. Don, I wanna say that I think that it's similar to, um, as I call it, the the um, Starbucks effect, I think that there are things that we know in the, in the black community that that maybe the white community doesn't know. So, so I think the light that's been brought to Tulsa is for some new and for many not new. Um, but I guess, how do you make it important to another group and for them to understand the effects that that has? And I think is that part of what the critical race theory is kind of maybe working toward?
2: Yes, and I think that, so for, let's take it from an education standpoint, because that's the only way we're gonna change, mm-hmm. is to continue to get the right narrative out there, and right. not the wrong narrative. So let me go back to my definition. What, uh, Jelani Cobb is a former classmate at Howard, and he said that the attacks on critical race theory are clearly an attempt to discredit the literature of millions of people sought out to understand how George Floyd wound up on the streets dead. You know, the goal of the attacks is to leave the next person dead inexplicable to our history. And so we call that gaslighting. And that's mm-hmm. what Trump did. Mm-hmm. It's when you sort of get this, this um, put this self-doubt, if you will, into, into someone. You know, it's, yeah. it's psychological control mm-hmm. and manipulation. Where you're trying to feed false information and get, and you're dis, uh, uh, deliberately uh, getting them to question themselves, getting them to question what they know to be true, and um, sometimes doubting what they know as their own memory and doubting what they know to be true because they've witnessed it. So you take any of the things that have happened Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Sandra yep. Boyd. Any any instance and you listen to the narrative, well, the boyfriend was selling drugs. Yeah. And so now what we've done, and this is real important, what you got to understand, we've changed the narrative and the thinking to, oh, the boyfriend was selling drugs, so she just is a, it just, it just happened. We're sorry, it was a mistake. Not yep. that they intentionally did a no-knock warrant. They started shooting right away. They didn't identify themselves. They had the wrong apartment. They had everything else was wrong, but it gets lost in the fact that um, they've now changed the narrative. The,
1: the, the, the victim becomes right. the offender is what happens. That's right. Victim, that's
2: part of gaslighting. The,
1: the, victim becomes right. the, the victim becomes the offender or the victim has caused the action to happen to them. They have done something wrong. Right. Uh,
2: and so whenever gambling. you have
1: um, that there was a really um, this media literacy and they were talking about just the portrayal of, of um, black victims you know they, they showed um, Trayvon Martin. They, they didn't show Trayvon Martin dressed in regular clothing. he always had like this hoodie on right right Make so look just, menacing. Right mm-hmm. exactly. So just that presentation, those images that you have, but we fault we fault the victim in that they have either caused the undoing, or they have justified the action right? against them. So yes, correct. just wanted to throw that in. Thank you. Yeah, so, I'm
0: sorry. I got another little one too. Like when black men are pulled over and they get killed and then white people say, well, if they just follow the directions, if they just did what they were asked to do, again, blaming the victim, because I've seen white people get stopped by the police and spit and cuss all in their face and walk away and live to tell about it.
2: Oh, absolutely, and you see it played out in the media and, and um, anywhere else. You know, the kid that was in, um, uh, and I know this Minnesota, I think mm-hmm. was, that was able to walk down the street with an AR-15. Yes! If anybody black and walk down the street with a gun, it would have been something different. So that's part of what CRT talks about and is trying to do, it's not a defunding the police. No one said, let's defund the police. No. Because if you think about the definition of defunding the police, that's not what it was saying. But they needed, they changed the narrative and get you thinking we don't yes. like the blue. blue. Blue has not always been good and kind to Blacks, and we've known that. But that's how they get the term. Well, I'll give you another one. Mm-hmm. Um Donald Trump was not uh initially accused of collusion. He came up with that term, and that became the buzzword that everybody went after but nobody defined it so same thing that critical race theory wants you to do is to start thinking through um the systems the structures and the procedures and the customary practices it it is every day because tracy you talked about going to get a loan Mm
0: -hmm. and where to
2: go and where not to get a loan because of your race we know that black people that once the credit union i mean the uh uh, what are they, trans union and all these credit modern yeah. agencies find out you're Black, you're given a different score and yes. a risk. Same mm-hmm. thing with the insurance company and the insurance agency. Same thing with your light and gas bills. Yes. And so, you know, in terms of education, there's an article that, uh, so uh, for benefit, the district administration put out. And it took, and this is something easy for people to understand, Uh, they came up with five foundational concepts for critical race theory. That race is not biological, it's a sociological construct. Racism is normal, common and systematic mechanism that we maintain in in, uh, inequalities. Uh, Race and racism are deterministic. So they advantage the dominant group and um, and an, until we look at some sort of form of racial advancement or racial equity, because you keep hearing about that, um, it will only occur if it benefits the dominant group. Mm-hmm. I had a professor, let me just say this one thing. I had a professor at, at uh, University of Maryland College Park. She said white people at the time, America, who were in charge, and this is in the early 90s, um, could end poverty if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Because we were just that powerful and rich back in the early 90s. But she said, the social projects and the social things that go on will never occur. Least I give to mine, I give to them. Mm -hmm. And so if they took care of poor whites the ones that Trump said you're a meth head and you're all of this and you're poor and you're dumb and I like the uneducated, Mm -hmm. you're uneducated because of someone else, but they had the power and still have the power to end all of this. But she Mm -hmm. said, I will not give to my own because I'll give to them. And Mm so racial equity and racial advancement will never happen until the dominant group sees a benefit and I had a I had a friend who recently told me that the top one percent um, started the social project and they wanted to get their kids uh, with other African American kids and these are things that you don't hear of. Cleveland huh? was just one small pilot, but there were things that happened way beyond that. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, if we don't do this, then America's going to rip itself apart. And they were talking about their children because they're, this is a, you know, I don't want to talk about it because it, it could name someone, but just understand that these are are rooms where someone has, I don't know, 2 or $3 billion in investments overseas and mm-hmm. in investments. And I said, be with a billion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, they're having these conversations saying that, A, if we don't allow our kids, then they won't be in a position to be able to do the bare minimum to keep this country from tearing itself apart.
1: Well, I, I wanna jump in when you were talking about the the, um, the advantages of of one group having something over the other and when it becomes an issue. And so the, the black farmers is a prime example. Um, for years, the government has provided grants and loans and, and, um, and handouts to white farmers for years. Mm-hmm. And they, no one questioned it, the white farmers never had an issue with it. And so when Biden made this proposal to, um, to kind of equal the scales and provide for blacks farmers to have um, monies and loans and opportunities that they were denied for, the white farmers are up in arms you know but when when you do it for me it's okay you know it's it's all right when you do it for me but because mm-hmm. you want to do it for somebody else the idea of me sitting back and saying you know what we did you know we did get all that money for years i mean they are literally up in arms and just that kind of um but it's a different mentality as well and i i think um as black people i think we're we're way more communal and we're may- way more sharing, we're, may- we're way more in- mm-hmm. inclusive. Um, and it could be because we don't have the, la- the power. That, that's that's right. probably a whole nother topic. But anyway, but that's another prime example of, you know, what, what is good for the goose is not good for the gander. If it benefits me, then yay. But the minute that, I, that something benefits somebody else that looks different than me, even though I've had that same thing happen to me,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: same exact thing happened to me if I try to give it to somebody else, they can't have it
0: can't have
1: um, it. But I, yeah. I, I I agree that it, it it's it, it has to but it has to start in the education system and it can't wait. I, I just feel like we cannot wait until you get to like middle and high school and college because your um, beliefs and thoughts have already been established. And so now you're right. counteracting what you've already instilled in to be true and and you question what is it factual. Um, so
2: well, I just wanted that's to a that. really good segue because if you think about it from an educational standpoint, instead of saying racial equity, we mm-hmm. started just saying educational equity. So mm-hmm. it benefits the rural whites in addition to the rural blacks. And so equity is something that they can stomach and tolerate, but not a lot has been done in terms of, you know, equitable access to good teachers, equitable access to resources, because again, they don't see the benefit. They see a small benefit, but mm-hmm. not a large one. I and mean, the face of poverty is not Black. It's no. only 18% of the population. Yes. So you take 20% of, of Blacks and 20% of the total population of Whites and you have a huge difference. However, everything you look at, and so what critical race theory does or is seeking to do in terms of what we wanna do in education Is to look at the dynamics of the marginalized groups and try to get them um, involved. And as you said, uh, Javisa, early on, it it would empower students of color. And you don't have to wait until high school or middle school to start talking about the contributions of students of color. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first started teaching, um, I put you know Black History was every day but we celebrated diversity 24, 365 And that was my whole thing in terms of teaching. So whenever, I didn't wait till February, didn't wait mm-hmm. till October, didn't wait till November, everybody gets a month, but everybody's a part of America. So why can we not celebrate it every time we're teaching and everything that we're doing? All right. All right. So if students of color can get a deep understanding of a racially conscious educational system, then the benefits are gonna be the teachers and then their children. So you start with this little flywheel mm-hmm. by having uh, students participate in it. White students would benefit also because it's, okay. a, it's diverse, it's critical because you get to have discourse. Mm-hmm. And then this comprehensive curricular approach, just, you know, um, it, it takes the the experiences and educational examples and things that we've done and then highlights and celebrates those. And so if you feel a part, and, and Gloria Bouti, who was here in Columbia, talked about African-centered pedagogy, and that just basically meant that part of critical race theory that talked about bringing in black characters. So if you're a teacher and you bring in books about African-Americans, read them, you're participating mm-hmm. in critical race theory. You don't have to ban it, but mm-hmm. you have to make sure that we're bringing more of it in. You know. Go ahead. I just
1: want to say, I think the other thing that, that may happen um, is that that conversation about race, because, um, you know, black folks talk about race all the time. We mm-hmm. are talking about cornbread and it leads to race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what the topic is somewhere no. in that conversation, whereas those are the conversations that white people may not have often. Are only on occasions because i don't i don't know what what they have you know i'm not privy to their conversations but i, I you know when you're when i'm out at dinner sometimes and you're listening to them and they're, they're talking about things you know george floyd has just happened and this is really serious and you know they're talking about a car and exactly. so so there so those opportunities for conversations that that they may not have had before are to or questions that they may have had that they didn't feel comfortable asking um, it w- it'll be an opportunity to have those, ask those questions and have those conversations. And, um, and I think that we have to open that door. We really have to open that door and, and have those kind of conversations and, and, and it's okay if they're uncomfortable,
0: you know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be
1: uncomfortable.
0: May, may I say something too, Don when you were talking, two things that struck me is that um, you were talking about the powerful people that had would withhold from their own kind if it was going to help somebody like black, black and brown and what you're saying Jabisa to to your point is that yeah George Floyd just happened and they're talking about you know cars my question is is this something that can be accomplished because they have to like you said when they were wanting to you know do the um you know involve you know their kids and other children in a certain thing they saw how it would benefit them but if we, if they hold the power and they cannot be convinced that this is something good that will benefit them because I think that's what it sounds to me like that's what motivates them the most if it's helpful to to me to us then we can do it but if if that If they can't be convinced of that, is, it, is this something we can accomplish? Does, does that make sense? It does. That's a good question.
2: And so the answer is yes on, in, in two areas. So mm-hmm. largely we have to begin helping people to understand the benefits of it. And so, you know, uh, and, and, and actually three levels. So on that top level of things and conversations that you never hear. About and that was one of the ones you never hear about. If their children begin having conversations, and so you know the the friend was telling me that he was sitting next to this guy who had three billion dollars in investments. I mean, just mm. you've got exactly. how much capital? How much money do you need to have? You have to have to three to billion put dollars. Put three billion in an investment internationally. Much not much less the stuff that you have locally. Mm-hmm. But the conversation, here he is a black man sitting at this room with this white man. He was like, you know, you need to do this or you should be doing this and you're not doing that. But he didn't get it. There was no way for my friend to be able to have it because right. he's black. And right. things that would prohibit him from being able to have $3 billion. One, right. In, in investments. Uh, or $3 billion anywhere to invest. And so, you know, so, but by having the children uh, and their children be exposed will help make sure that we keep the country from tearing apart. Then the groundswell comes from us being able to pull our brothers up and sisters up and helping them to understand that... You know, in the absence, if we don't have anti-racist education, mm-hmm. or, then you will never stop racial stereotypes. Yeah, uh, you you won't. Right. And so the, you know, students of color, brown, black, um, will still not benefit. So we we need to be able to have anti-racist education mm-hmm. um, and challenge those stereotypes and those things that. Are wrong, and then we also need to begin um, helping people to see and understand the benefits. And so, a benefit is, you know, let me put it in economic terms, and it's real easy math. You Mm -hmm. know, if white people stop earning money and black people were the only ones earning money, it would take 266 years before we caught up. So you've heard of wow. America's name, right? But that equates wow. to 300 years of slavery. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, That's it does. That's, we're, just, okay. uh, we're just catching up.
2: So you mm-hmm. had the Black Wall Street, you had Black millionaires, and then they burned it down yes. in Tulsa. That yes. was going to be taken and be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, making sure that as people put false information out, yep. continue to put correct information in.
0: Mm -hmm. because
2: if you just let them gaslight you and say this isn't true and talk about Mm -hmm. all the negative things and that's what they're going to do and we just get upset you have to do the inverse and so you've got to continue to put it out there because you'll reach one and they'll reach one and then while we're educating uh, those students that are in the middle Mm -hmm. so the ones that are Uh, lower middle class to upper middle class, if their lives keeps getting enriched and they keep understanding and we keep the George Floyd and we keep attacking um, Mm anti-racist education and those stereotypes, then eventually it'll make a difference. I'm gonna give one example and then um, I'll answer any other questions that you might have. I was the first African-American administrator at an elementary school. And um, I made black history this month because I was the first African-American at the school. And so, but I remember that at one point um, in the year that the black boys and the white boys were getting into these racial fights and it upset me and it hurt me. And so I called all the third, fourth and fifth grade boys into stop they could teach the girls but i called all the boys in and we had a conversation mm-hmm. and you could have called it critical race theory if you want but i said look you know we are not going to continue to go down this path mm-hmm. i said i play basketball with y'all i eat lunch with you i'm in your classrooms i'm on the field i come to your events Mm-hmm. And I said, I come to black and white events. I sit at black and tables and I try to get you all to sit together. I said, all of you love me and want to be around me. I am Mr. Doggett, your assistant principal. I happen to be black because it's not biological. Mm-hmm. And I said, if y'all don't wanna get alone then I'm not gonna spend time with any group. The people that I'm gonna spend my time with are the ones that are going to say, okay, that's my brother that's my neighbor, and we're going to be able to say, I don't care what happens and and where uh, you go after you leave, but here from seven to three, this is the family that we're creating. We're not black, we're not white, we're brothers. And so I did that not to diminish race, but to make sure that I created a playing field so that they didn't see those black boys from the housing projects, the ones that, that were bused in, Mm-hmm. Um, as something separate or different, regardless of what their parents said. Mm-hmm. And then I had a last story. Had a very racist parent um, who ended up losing his job, had two boys and noticed, you see certain things and so I'm mm-hmm. just going to put it out there. They uh, Food insecurity was an issue. They mm-hmm. would not have a lot. And they bring these lunch bags every lunch boxes every day, and not much was in there. So I realized what was going on, and so um, I started slowly inviting him in. And we would have coffee in the morning every morning. Um, and it was not an attempt to change his heart. I just needed him to see that I was a little bit different. And so I called him one day and said, "Look, I'm going to send this application home. I need you to. It's going to be in an envelope. In an envelope." And I'm going to tell you boys to bring it to you. And then I want you to fill it out and bring it back. Put it back in the other envelope and then mm-hmm. send it back to me. No one will see this, but me and the district office. Mm-hmm. And I put those two little boys on free lunch and they ate lunch. And I told them, look, you know, your dad's covered this. Everything has been taken care of. Go yep. get what you want anytime that you want. Right. And so if I had a... If I I did that not to change his heart, but I did that to change the boys. Mm-hmm. Then now that they're graduating and going on to college, um, I mean, and, and going yeah, going to college now, and some of them have graduated from college. They're going to be a little bit different from that experience. Yes, and so that's the flywheel.
1: Yeah. Yes, but you ha- you have to start young because. Yes. The old are so resistant and, and their, are. their mm-hmm. mentality is, what is the benefit for, for me? And mm-hmm. this is no benefit for me, um, no financial benefit for me. And then there's also, mm-hmm. I think with the old, you also deal with this kind of um, justification and explanation and, mm-hmm. and resistance. It's just real resistance to um, mm-hmm. accepting that there has been some wrong that they've done on their part. You know, white folks don't want to be wrong.
0: No, um, they don't want to do be not.
1: wrong, and they don't want to be wrong for something that they perceive has happened years ago, and it doesn't happen today.
0: And right? They had absolutely no hand in. So, right, but so, yeah, I think I, also, I'm sorry, also leaving out the fact that they benefited from that wrong. You know, they yeah. don't want to think about it, but they're okay with taking the the benefits from exactly. that wrong. Exactly. Exactly. So. Well, I hope we Ooh, have, I enjoyed that. that yes, so I hope much, you
1: have enjoyed it as well. Um, our, oh,
0: our time is up. Yes, um, it has. And I think it's been up, but I loved it. Don, thank you so, so much for joining us. I was riveted.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the opportunity um to just come on. Um I am honored to be. Uh, a guest. And I've been listening the to the first. podcast. <laughs> I am the inaugural. Yes. Uh, and I appreciate the conversation. And what a way to look at it because education is truly the key. Education is how we're going to be able to mm-hmm. change and make a difference. So remember gaslighting. Yes. Whenever you see it. And remember to always put the, calm, the, the, the truth out there and document your truth
0: Y'all uh-huh. talked
2: about having the document work, document your truth, and keep it out there.
0: Thank you, thank you, sir. And I will do that. I will do that. If when I see some fa- false coming in, instead of getting mad and letting it slide, just tell it the truth and let the chips fall where they may. I like that approach. That, mm-hmm. gonna, we're going to both have that approach, and then we're going to tell you how it went. Yes, thank I'm you. trying, and it's going to take it's going to take a lot of effort because we like we're older and have been doing things a certain way for so long so it's going to be have to be purposeful and intentional yeah but it can be done all right and well, with that oh I'm sorry. A, a let me give you that real quick and then we'll oh no 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 no
1: no i gotta do our black business i got my black oh, business yes. this time okay so our black business is um her name is Janae, and of course there'll be a link to her she is a spiritual medium yes yeah, so if you are seeking um A reading, she does readings. Um, She has been gifted with the ability, uh, Tracy doesn't believe in it, (laughs) but she has been gifted with the ability to um, um, hear ancestors um, share and speak and protect. And so she shares that information with you. So, yeah, (laughs) you can't see Tracy's face, she's holding it in. This is killing her. But anyway, (laughs) Um, I've experienced had an, a reading with Janae and I, I really did enjoy it. It was a very different experience. So I, I'm like, don't knock it till you try it. But yep. we do we do have our information. Look for her information, support her. Support mm-hmm. at you support her and support all the black businesses. If you go back and look at our past um podcast, at least the last three or four, um <laughs> we, have, we have black businesses and there's a black business from last week, the week that I forgot. So yep. there's a black business tied to that as well. And real quick, it is um a new breakfast um um restaurant that's opened in South Carolina. Uh-huh. Um, I want to say it's toasty taste, toasty toast. I'm not sure, but it's on our podcast.
0: It's not, okay.
1: And you can go there and, and get breakfast and it's on Lady Street in downtown Columbia. Really excited about that. So just want to share those two black businesses. Um, we support Black businesses
0: and we hope that you do as well. And now, Tracy,
1: yeah. take us with our
0: the quote. Okay, the, this quote, um, I probably should have one more um, that tied in more with what we were talking about, but I found this one and I liked it. Um, True self-care is not salt bath and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life you don't need to regularly escape from. And that's from Brianna West. Say it twice. I always say it. Okay. True self-care is not salt baths and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life you don't need to regularly escape from. I love that. I am that, yes. All right, so until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.